love praise and worship. That's like my favorite part. You would think the preacher would like the preaching the best. I like that part of church the best. I'm just saying. And for those of you on the back row, I was going to apologize because I was back there having my own concert. I don't know if y'all could hear me or not. I was going to apologize, then I thought better of it because here's the deal. If you were singing louder, you wouldn't have heard me. <laughs> so that's the rule. See, when we started Elevation Church, we started it in our living room in our house in Flower Mound. And we used, I mean, Jim, it, it, like, it was too small. We couldn't, like, sing out loud. So we played CDs, and that was my excuse. But the reality was, in my living room, you could hear me sing. And so that's why I made Jim play CDs for worship instead of us singing. And I promised everybody a couple of weeks in that when we got big enough to be loud enough that nobody could hear me, then we would go to live worship. And, man, it's amazing how much louder people got. Just a handful, right? It's crazy. So, anyway, that's how bad of a singer I am. But you know what? God doesn't care. He said make a joyful noise. And so I make a joyful noise, emphasis on noise, okay? But that's not about me today. What it's about today is story time. Story time. It was my favorite time in, in elementary school. It was my favorite time in kindergarten where we would all gather on the little round rug in our room and we would sit, not Indian style because that's not cool anymore, but crisscross applesauce I think is the terminology now. And I'm not going to do it today because when I did it a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't sure I was going to get back up again. So but we would sit on the little rug and the teacher would break out the storybook and she would read us a story. And I love story time. I loved it when I was a kid. And that's carried through. I'm almost 40 years old, and I still love a good story. Yesterday, I was driving with some kids in the car, and we were telling stories. Man, we're having a ball just making stuff up as we drove around. And I think everybody likes a good story. I think it's hardwired into us to like a good story. And the reason I think it's hardwired into us, the reason I think it's like in our DNA to like stories, is because God is the greatest storyteller of all time. Let that sink in for a moment. It's a big, bold claim, isn't it? I mean, nobody ever wants to argue when you play the God card, right? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, there's, well, oh, he said God's the greatest storyteller. Think about it. God is the greatest storyteller of all time. His, his word, the Bible, his story has been called the greatest story ever told. And if it's the greatest story ever told, then he's got to be the greatest storyteller, right? I mean, he's writing this huge story, this story that spans all of time. It's bigger than any of us. It's bigger than all of us. And he is still writing his story today in your life and in mine. He is truly the greatest storyteller of all time. And so when I think about God's story, and I think about, you know, the, the expanse of time that it covers and, and all the breadth of, of how many people are encompassed, it is no surprise, it is no wonder that stories play a significant role in the bigger story. See, God's bigger story is filled with all kinds of littler stories. Your story, my story, the story of our church, the story of this community. There's all kinds of stories. Lots and lots and lots of stories that make up the bigger story. Jesus told a lot of stories in his ministry. And I think that's only natural, right? I mean, he's a chip off the old block. Right? God the Father is his father. He is his son. And so he is also a storyteller. And so Jesus told a lot of stories, and that is what this whole teaching series is about. It's about the stories that Jesus told, but specifically it's about the parables. Now, parables are a certain type of story. We've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. If you were here, you've picked up on this by now. If you weren't, let me just tell you real quick. What a parable is is a story that has parallel meanings. Jesus told these parables, they were earthly stories that had an earthly meaning, 
And then there were also heavenly stories that had a heavenly meaning. And the cool thing about a parable, when Jesus told these parables, it, it, that heavenly meaning was kind of hidden. Not really. It was like hidden in plain sight. You ever, you ever been looking for something and it was like right there in plain sight? Like when you put your sunglasses on your head? I hate it when I do that. My kids laugh at me. I don't know why. But I find things hidden in plain sight all the time. Well, Jesus was hiding the truth right there in plain sight for all of the people. But the thing is, he told these parables so that those whose hearts were prepared could receive what he had to say, and that those who were just hanging around because it was a cool place to be, because that's where the action was, they might not get it yet. They weren't ready to receive what Jesus... So he was making sure that when he planted his good seed, his story, that it was reaching those that, as he said, had ears to hear. Ears to hear. In the first two parables we talked about, the parable of the four soils and last week the parable of the weeds, Jesus used that phrase. He said, let those who have ears to hear, hear. And all that ears to hear means is those who are prepared, whose hearts are ready to receive that story, to hear that heavenly meaning. He wanted them to hear it. And so let's talk just for a moment about the things we covered over the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the four soils. It's from Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be back in Matthew 13 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open those things up, get ready, find Matthew chapter 13. We'll be going through two parables today, real short, but uh, we're not there yet, but you can go ahead and start turning. If you don't have your Bible, don't freak out. We're going to put the verses on the uh, screen up here so you can follow along with us that way as well. So, But if you go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13, if you have them, you'll be ready. But Two weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the four soils, or the parable of the sower. And in this parable, Jesus taught about four different kinds of dirt. And the dirt represented the hearts of men and women, the hearts of people. And, and he told us that there are four different kinds of hearts that he probably, I think, had really encountered. Four different uh, uh, levels of, of preparedness, if you will. The first, he said, was like the soil that was the path. It was hard packed. It was like concrete. And, and, and it couldn't receive the message. It couldn't receive the seed, the story. And, and, and so the person with a, with a hard heart can't receive, doesn't have ears to hear. He or she has no ears to hear the story that Jesus is telling. There was also the shallow soil, shallow rocky soil. And that represented a, a heart that was kind of what I would say fickle. Like somebody hears the, the good news of Jesus. They hear the message of Christ. They're like, emotionally excited about that, and then they say yes to the, to the gospel, yes, I want to follow Jesus, and then life happens, and stuff gets hard, and, you know, the cat gets diarrhea, or their wife gets mad, or, you know, they lose their job, or any number of things happen, right, because y'all have lived a little while, right, bad stuff happens sometimes, right, and, and, and they fall away because life happened around them, right, that's the shallow soil, it's fickle, they weren't, the, they had no root, See, the gospel had no root. God's story had no root in their hearts. Then there was another kind of soil that Jesus talked about. We had the, the hard soil. We had the shallow soil. Then he talked it about, talked it. That was a, I don't know where I got that one. I will coin a word on you. That was not one I intended to coin. Talked it. All right. I've been around my two-year-old too much. That's what it is. So he talked about another soil that, that he said was uh, the seed took root in this soil, but alongside the seed, when it came up as a plant, there were all of these thorns and thistles and bad plants, and, and so it choked out the good seed. And this represents a person who hears the gospel, who begins to, to trust Christ, but their heart is conflicted 
with all of these other things that are competing for their time, their attention, their energy, their love. And so the gospel is choked out in them as well. And then there are those with cultivated hearts where somebody has come in and done the the heavy duty work of tilling, plowing the soil, of breaking the soil, of removing the rocks, of, of taking out all of the competing plants. And that person is ready to receive the gospel, to let it take root, to grow, reach maturity, and bear fruit. Those are the people who have ears to hear. Last week, we talked about the parable of the weeds. You know, the farmer went out and planted his wheat crop, and while he was sleeping one night, his enemy came in and threw out a whole bunch of weed seed. Now, probably not, you know, cannabis or whatever you want to call it. I mean, just, but, but seed that wasn't the good seed, right? Maybe it was, I don't know. But they threw out this other seed that was weeds. And, and the weeds came up when the wheat came up. And, and the, the two plants grew side by side, and, and the, the, the workers said, I mean, Master, do you want us to take the, the weeds out of the... He said, no, we're going to let them grow up together because we might kill the wheat We're taking the weeds out, and, and so we'll take out the weeds when it's harvest time. And Jesus said that when they took out the weeds, they gathered the weeds up, they bundled them, and they burned them, and then they harvested the wheat and took the wheat to the Master's barn. And he said that that story was all about eternity. That story is about heaven and hell. It's an either-or story. You're either good seed or you're bad seed. You're good seed following God. You're bad seed following His enemy. Not my words, His. Either-or. Good seed, people who follow God, who love Christ, who, who have a relationship with Him, have an eternity in the Master's barn. Those who follow the enemy have an eternity in fire, what we would call hell. His word's not mine. Hard stuff. I didn't enjoy preaching last week. I'll just go ahead and tell you the truth. But it's something that we all have to come face to face with. We all have to come to terms with, who is Jesus in my life? Who do I follow? My prayer for these last couple of weeks has been that each and every one of us would have ears to hear. What God is saying to us right now is vitally, crucially important. For some of you, it's heaven and hell important. And so my prayer is that we would all have ears to hear as God speaks these truths into our lives through this series, through me, a broken vessel, as he speaks these truths into our lives, that we would hear what he has to say. Not just the earthly story, We can all relate to the farm stories. I mean, maybe you didn't grow up knee-deep in the dirt. I didn't either. But you can probably relate to the farm stories. But can you relate to the heavenly stories? Can you get what God is saying to you about Him, about His story, about eternity, about your place in His story and your place in eternity? My prayer is that you have ears to hear. And today we're going to continue, as I said, in Matthew chapter 13, we're going to continue with Jesus' parables. And we're going to talk about two parables, two really short parables. One little passage of Scripture, two short parables. We're going to start with Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. We're going to read about the parable of the mustard seed. Would you read with me? Verse 31, Jesus told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven 
is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants, and it becomes a tree so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. That's a short parable compared to those other ones. That's a short parable, but there's some powerful stuff in this parable of the mustard seed. Now, on your way in, you should have been handed a little tiny, itty-bitty mustard seed. Everybody still have their mustard seed? I see fingers going up. You can hold your fingers up. I would never know if the mustard seed was there, right? You can just give me one of these. Yes, sir, we got it right here. Trust me, because it's a teeny, tiny, itty-bitty little, I mean, tinier than a pinhead, right? If you've got it, look at it. Try not to drop it, but look at that little seed. Now, if you're a botanist, you already have an issue this morning. If you're like a mustard farmer, you already have an issue this morning because you know that the mustard seed is not really the tiniest seed on earth, right? And when it grows into a plant, it's, it's not technically, botanically called a tree. I mean, if you're a botanist, you know it's a shrub. Now, I'm neither one. I had to look both of those things up because I, you know, not that bright. But that's beside the point. The seed in your hand is teeny, teeny, tiny, tiny, itty-bitty little seed. And in the area around the Sea of Galilee, if you planted that seed and you gave it water and fertilization and it got so, you know, good sun, it was in good soil, it would grow to about 10 feet tall. So while it might not technically be a tree, might not botanically be called a tree, it is indeed a big honking plant. And it puts out some big old branches and the birds can come and roost in the mustard seed plant tree shrub thing. All of that is really not the point here, though. And I don't want to get caught up in the minutia. But I did want to recognize if somebody had that issue, if somebody was really wondering if it is the tiniest of all seeds, it's not. But it's teeny, teeny, tiny, tiny. If it's really a tree, it's not. But it is a big old honking shrub. And here's the thing. In this parable, Jesus isn't teaching us about botany. If he was, he'd have probably gotten all of that stuff right. He was speaking to people in terms they would understand, and he was teaching them about his church. He was teaching them about the kingdom of heaven and their place in it. See, the seed is the gospel. It's God's story. It's his story of redemption. Because mankind needs to be redeemed. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they messed it up for all of us. How would you like to go back and just, I can't do it, so never mind. But Adam and Eve, they messed it up for all of us when they sinned, that original sin. See, God put them in the Garden of Eden. He gave them simple rules. He said, don't eat from that tree. You can pretty much do anything else you want. Don't eat from that one. What did they do? They got tempted by the enemy, and they went and they ate from that one. They broke God's rules. When they broke God's rules, it changed everything. And today, you and I are born into sin. It's a curse that came because of that original sin. We're natural-born sinners. If you don't believe me, have children, you'll know. Natural-born sinners. You don't have to train your kids to sin. They're really good at it from birth. Okay? I've got three. I've experienced this. They're good at it. You were good at it too, and you're still good at it today. We sin. And because of that sin, God couldn't continue his relationship with us the way that he designed it. See, he designed us to live forever and to be in a relationship with him eternally. Sin killed that plan. And so God came up with an alternative plan. I think he had it in his back pocket from the very beginning. But the plan was this. He sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. That's literally eternal separation from God. It's hell. That's what sin deserves. But God sent Jesus to pay that penalty for you. 
He paid that price, and because he paid that price, you and I don't have to pay it at the end of our lives. So that's what this is all about. This, this parable that Jesus is telling is about the seed of the gospel, God's redemption being planted. And that seed was indeed very, very small. When God sent Jesus to earth, he was one man among the world. And not just the world at his time, but the world preceding that time and our world today and whatever is going to be here after us. One man amongst all of that humanity. That's the seed of the gospel that God planted. Crazy small, like a mustard seed. And yet, that seed took root and grew. The Bible says as Jesus grew up, he grew in favor with God and with man. He grew in stature and he grew in favor with God and with man. Jesus grew up. And as he grew up, he reached a point in his life where God said it was time for him to go out and start his ministry. Jesus went out at 30, roughly 30 years old to start his ministry. And when he began to preach and teach, when he began to tell God's story, it didn't make much of a ripple at first. But slowly but surely, people heard this radical rabbi with this real departure of a message, something completely different than what they had ever heard before. And they began to follow him. And before too long, he had a pretty big following. There were thousands following Jesus. And that began to ruffle some feathers. People got upset. The, the religious elite, the Jewish religious elite, man, they were ticked because this, this rabbi with this different message was getting a bigger following than some of them. That was messing them up. The Roman government started to see that a potential uprising could be brewing in these, these people following this Jesus cat. And Jesus, after about three years of ministry, became public enemy number one to the point where the religious elite had him arrested on false charges, tried him, and, and even as the Roman government tried to say, no, we're going to let him go, they're like, no, go ahead, let's uh, crucify him. Let's crucify him. And he was killed. Died on the cross. Now what nobody at that time, even his followers really, understood was it was all part of the plan. See, it was already in the story that this was going to happen. Jesus had even been telling them himself, he goes, you know, you can tear this temple down, but in three days it's going to be rebuilt. And in three days, Jesus rose from the dead. As Jim talked about earlier, he overcame death. Not just for himself, but for all mankind, for any who would place their trust in him and follow him. He overcame death. He rose again. Messed some folks up. And he didn't just like rise again and nobody saw it. He rose again and he presented himself to his disciples. They saw him. They freaked out. They were like, well, let me put my hand in that hole. Man, that's for real. And then he lived for 40 days on earth. He walked and talked with people. He presented himself to hundreds, maybe thousands of people during that time. And at the end of those 40 days, Jesus ascended into heaven to live there at God's right hand. But he said before he left that he was going to send his Holy Spirit to live in the hearts of his followers as their counselor. And in the book of Acts, it records that day, we call it Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and came on the disciples. And all of a sudden, these guys start preaching and teaching in languages they've never learned, don't understand and can't speak. It's a freaky day. It's kind of scary. I think they were probably kind of freaked out by it too when they realized what was happening. But they're preaching in all of these languages they don't even understand, and people are coming to Christ. They are buying in to the story that these guys are telling. 
And if you look in the second chapter of Acts, Acts 2, I think it's verse 41. Acts 2, 41. Let me find the right paperclip in my Bible here. Acts 2, 41. It says that those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's on the day of Pentecost. That's the day when they're preaching in, in languages they don't understand, speaking in tongues that they can't speak in, sharing God's story. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 that day. And if you read a couple of lines more down in, in that second chapter of Acts, it says that as they continued to meet together, the believers, and, and do life together, and, and form community together, and worship and praise God together, and, and listen to his message together, as they did all of that, it says that God added to their number daily the number of those who were being saved. Daily. So from the time God planted the seed of the gospel, when he sent Jesus, Jesus started to preach his message, had a little following, and then a bigger following, and then thousands, and then was resurrected from the dead, and then thousands more were added, and then daily additions were made to his church. See, the seed was planted. The church grew from that seed. It was the fruit of the seed of the gospel. It's crazy when I think about Elevation Church today. You and me today, we have thousands of years of branches coming off of that original plant, leading us to this point in time, this place in geography with this group of people. Today, it all started with that little mustard seed, that little tiny thing led to something that has existed for thousands of years, has circumnavigated the globe. There's not a people on earth. Look, it's, we, The gospel's been preached on seven continents, man. It's been everywhere. There is not a culture, not a people on earth who have not had an opportunity to hear the gospel. It's crazy. From a tiny little seed to a global church with total reach. That's wild. We're a part of this. We're still growing today. The church is still growing today. Thousands are still responding to God's story today. As we continue to grow this church, we're growing from that original seed that was planted so long ago. The church continues to grow, and it continues to produce fruit. And we are some of that fruit of the first church. God's plan and his purpose for us is to be like a mustard seed. You know, when the fruit grows on a plant, what's inside the fruit? Somebody got it. The seeds, right. Right, the seeds are inside the fruit. So if we're the fruit, the seed that we bear is the seed of the gospel. We're supposed to do what that mustard seed does. Now, what does a mustard seed get used for? What does mustard plant get used for? Did you, know you can, did you all know you can eat mustard greens? If you're from the south, you know you can eat some mustard greens, right? If there's somebody in here from the south that likes some mustard greens besides me, put a little bacon up in there, mm-hmm. some onion, come on now, greens is good. I like greens, okay? I grew up in the south, maybe that's why, but greens are good. Greens are really healthy food. It's very nourishing. A lot of iron, a lot of vitamins, a lot of good stuff. You know what? The church should be like the greens of the mustard plant. We're supposed to nourish people. 
We're supposed to nourish people. You should be nourished by the church, by one another, by me, by the preaching and the teaching. We are supposed to nourish people with the truth of the gospel. You know what else mustard seed, mustard plant is good for? The seed gets ground up and mixed with some other stuff, and it, it becomes a seasoning. We just know it as mustard, right? It brings flavor to things that are tasteless, doesn't it? It's also ground up and used to dye things, so it brings brightness and color to our world. When you think about the mustard plant, it's a pretty cool plant. Tiny little seed, great big plant, lots of uses, all good stuff. That's what the church should be like. We should bring color into the drabness of this world. We should bring flavor into the tasteless places in our culture. And we are to nourish one another as the church. Matthew 5, 13 to 16 is a verse that doesn't use the same terminology, but explains it really well. It talks about salt and light. Jesus is teaching, and he says to his followers, he says, you're the salt of the earth. And then in verse 14, he says, you're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Followers of Christ, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Did you know there's no such thing as darkness? Technically, there is no such thing as darkness. There is only absence of light. You can't measure dark. You can only measure light. So if there is somewhere, someplace, something in this world that is dark, totally dark, all that means is that there is an absence of Christ or maybe an absence of the church, Christ's followers, in that place, in that thing, in our culture. We're called to be the salt. Salt adds flavor, kind of like the mustard seed, right? It brings things that are kind of bland to life. It preserves things, salt and light. Mustard seed, brightness, flavor, nourishment. That's what it means to follow Christ. That what it, that's what it means to be His church. Elevation Church exists to do these things. When we founded the church, we founded on three simple things. Our purpose statement is simple. We exist to lead people to know Jesus personally, to grow in faith through relationships, and to go share the love of God with others, period. That's why we're here. I think it is exactly fulfilling these things being the mustard plant, the salt, and the light. We exist to lead people to know Jesus personally. That's to get their hearts cultivated, to cultivate hearts so that people can receive the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, period. That's simple. That's why we exist, to lead people to have a cultivated heart so they can receive salvation, so they can live successfully in this life and in eternity. We lead people to know Jesus personally. We lead people to grow in faith through relationships. Faith the size of a mustard seed, Jesus said. I think I have a verse for this. Maybe I don't. Faith the size of a mustard seed is, is something that is incredible. Jesus says the, the power of faith the size of a mustard seed can lead us to move mountains. Check it out. Jesus said, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Faith the side of a mustard seed. Pull your mustard seed back out and look at that. No, really. Y'all are looking at me. Look at your mustard seed. Faith the size of a simple little mustard seed. Nothing will be impossible for you if you have that little grain of faith. Now, if you think that's simple, go ahead and try to go move a mountain. Because I hadn't seen anybody do that lately. I haven't tried it myself. I probably lacked the faith to even attempt it. 
See, faith is like our muscles. Faith has to be built. You're born with a little bit, apparently a really little bit, because if it was the size of a mustard seed, you'd be moving mountains around. You'd be doing things crazy. We're all born with some faith. We're all born with some muscle, but you don't fully develop your, your faith until you put it to work. And you don't fully develop your muscles until you put them to work, right? I mean, if you've ever trained for anything, you know you've got to do things repetitively. You've got to stress those muscles out. You've got to build your lung capacity. You've got you to take it to the very limits, to the edge. And I think one of the best ways that we build our faith is in relationships. It's, faith is often built one little tiny mustard seed size step at a time. And, and just I'm going to take one little faith step. And the faith to take that step is usually there because you believe something good is going to happen because you've seen it either in your life or in somebody else's. See, this relationship with God builds faith. When you have a relationship, I've been following Jesus for about 20 years. The longer I follow her, follow him. Longer I follow him. Boy, I'm full of them today. I'm not caffeinated this morning. That's my problem. I'm telling you right now. I've got to drink coffee. But anyway, the longer I follow Jesus, the more I want to follow him. Because the more I have this track record with him, that he does what he says he will do. That he is faithful even when I am not. And so my faith is built by my relationship with Christ. When I see him do what he says he will do. I've got a lot, almost 20 years of that now. Some of you have a lot longer. Some of you don't, but that's okay. Because in the early days, I didn't have that long track record with God, and my faith was still there. You know why? Because I got around other believers and had relationships with them. Trina and I were part of a small group, a little Bible study that met in living rooms over in Grapevine. And we hung out with these people. We did life with these people. and Some of them had been following Jesus longer than us, and I saw them deal with the challenges and the difficulties of life, and I saw them follow God, and I saw God be faithful with them, and my faith was built by my relationships with those people. And so we, as a church, want to lead people into this relationship with God, but also into relationship with one another, because we believe that faith can be built both ways. Faith can be built directly in your relationship with God as you develop a track record with Him, but also in your relationships with others. So we lead people to that kind of relational connectivity. We lead people to know, we lead people to grow, and we lead people to go. To go share the love of Christ with others. And one of the key ways that we lead people to go is in our local missions. We do local mission work every month. Elevation Church goes to Denton to serve some homeless, helpless, hungry, sometimes hopeless people through a ministry called Breaking Bread. We went yesterday, a handful of adults and like a triple handful of kids. Like we had way more kids yesterday from our church than we had adults, and it was awesome. The kids rocked the house. They served their little tails off. It was amazing watching elementary-age kids serve these homeless, hungry, hopeless people, the bread of the meal, but also the bread of life, just by being in there, hugging on people, being smiling, and you know, having a great time, cutting up, telling jokes, telling stories. They did all of that. They mopped floors. They did crazy work, but they had great relational connections with some of these people that we were there serving yesterday. We do this every month on the fourth Saturday. And it's an awesome time to go share the love of Christ with others. If you've never done that, I invite you to come and do it because it is cool. If you were there yesterday, just like raise your hand if you had a great time, right? 
And the kids are raising their hands upstairs. Amen. And so, I mean, we had an awesome time. Like the handful of adults and the load of kids that we had. Tons of fun. But most importantly, we participated in God's story in our church and in the lives of the people that we served. So we are big on our local missions. We also help plant churches. Isn't that crazy? We're a church plant ourselves. We're 18 months old. We're barely like a crawling church. We're like a baby just getting started, just getting moving, right? But you know what? We've already helped plant a church in New York City, and we're continuing to support these church planters who have gone to New York to start a church in one of the most unchurched places in all of North America. It's crazy. I mean, technically, um, um, if you really got down to it, looked at the books and all of that, we probably shouldn't be doing it from a business standpoint. It doesn't make sense to send money to somebody else when we're still in a huge growth curve ourselves. But then again, God's business is not the same as man's business. His ways are higher than our ways. And I believe from the very beginning that as a church planter, it was crucial, it was vitally important that our church have in its DNA church planting, not just our own church, but other churches in other places and helping other people. Now, we can't give a lot of money to this group. They, they get lots of support from lots of places. We're a drop in their bucket, but they love us. It's a friend of mine. He knows. We've gotten to be good friends as we've gone through this process together of planting churches. He knows what a huge commitment it is for this church, for you and for me, to send resources to him and his wife and their church as they get it going in New York. So we're all about spreading the gospel, helping the seed be planted in all kinds of different places through church planting. So we're going to share God's love here locally. We're going to share God's love in places like New York. And eventually, we'll help plant churches in other places, and we'll go on mission trips to other places. We'll go overseas, do crazy stuff like Brazil or Africa or Europe, or let's just get really crazy, and let's go to the Middle East and plant some churches there. Let's go to the Middle East and talk about Jesus in places like Iran and Iraq. Let's, let's just let's, let's be bold for Christ. That's, that's the vision that I have. That's what I believe God's calling us to, is to be that mustard seed that grows into that plant that puts out these branches that the birds can come and roost in, the lost of the world can come and roost in, so they can be fed and nourished, and so they can receive the good news, and so they can bear fruit, and the gospel can continue to expand and to grow. We're all part of God's story. Matthew 13, 33. We're going to move on from the mustard seed. We're going to talk about this last parable as we wrap up for today. Jesus told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all throughout the dough. Any bakers in the house? You guys, anybody like to bake? I love to cook. I'm not such a baker. I can, but I, I, I like to just do savory stuff more than that. But, I mean, I like to cook, but there's some bakers out here. You bakers, you know this. I've done some, some baking, too, and you know it better than I do. But a little bit of yeast goes a long ways, doesn't it, when you're baking? Like they sell it in these little tiny envelopes, and like the envelopes could be really like way smaller than they are because there's like a little tiny bit of powder in the bottom of that envelope, and it's like an envelope like this. And that'll like leaven a ton of dough. It'll, that yeast goes a long ways. Well, guess what? We're the yeast. We're the little bit of yeast. You are the little bit of yeast. And the 60 pounds of flour 
that we're supposed to be leavening, that we're supposed to be working through all of the dough, resides right outside those doors. It's Highland Village, Flower Mound, Louisville, Double Oak, all of these communities around here. We're the yeast. We're supposed to work through all of that dough. We're supposed to bring the gospel to all of those places. We're supposed to be light in all of those places that are dark, salt in all of those tasteless places in our culture. We're supposed to take what we have here, a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with each other, the church, and take it there. Don't just invite people here. Yes, we do that too. We take it there. We go live our faith in our homes. If you missed that one, you've missed it all. You've got to go live that in your home. You've got to go live it at work. You know, the, the flower, it's, it's your boss, that jerk that you work for that treats you badly. He's part of the flower. Some of you are bosses and you're smiling right now. Because you know there's some people who really want to be yeast in your life. Some of you just have your boss in your mind. You're like, if they would only listen, just go and do. Go and live it. Go and tell them. Go and invite them. Be the yeast. Be the salt. Be the light. Be that little mustard seed. That cop that pulls you over to give you the ticket, be the mustard seed. The teachers that your kids are going back to school with tomorrow, some of you are going to love them. Some of you are going to be highly frustrated by them. doesn't matter which one. Be the yeast. That guy or that girl in the cubicle around the corner at work, be the yeast. Your children and your spouse, be the yeast. Be the salt. Be the light. Be the mustard seed. Penetrate the darkness. Flavor the tasteless. Bring brightness and life into all of that world. Go be the yeast. Father God, thank you that the church exists, that it has survived for 2,000 years that it wasn't just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, because most of us come from Gentile descendants. Thank you, God, that the church sprang from a small seed, grew into a great plant with many branches, and that when our time was right, when our hearts were cultivated, God, that that seed dropped into there. Father, I pray that none of us who have a relationship with you become complacent and comfortable in our own salvation. But God, that we would be compelled to lead people to know, grow, and go. That we would lead by example in doing those things. That we would take the gospel wherever we go. Take that salt, take that light, take that seed. Penetrate darkness, flavor, tasteless places. And Father, may we measure success, not by how many people attend this church, not by the number of 
cars in the parking lot or how many people serve in this ministry or that. But Father, by saved souls, by those who will live successfully in this life and dwell eternally with you because of your son Jesus in their hearts. Because we simply did what you asked us to do. Plant seeds. Father, we love you and give you the rest of this time that we have together for your honor and your glory. And it's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen.